Welcome to the Pastor Nick Santo Podcast, a podcast designed to help you live closer to Jesus. We hope that God uses it to encourage and empower you in His plan for your life. Now let's get into today's content. Okay, James, uh, chapter 3. We're going to start in, in verse 11. Uh, we're just going through the end of the chapter, so it's just a few verses. Um, James asks a question. He says, does a fountain or a spring send forth at the same place or from the same source, the same mouth, sweet water and bitter? Can the fig tree, my brothers, bear olive berries, either a vine figs? So understand that if a certain type of tree bears a certain type of fruit, that's what you would expect to always uh, harvest from that tree or that plant and so he then applies the illustration he says so can no fountain both yield salt water and fresh now in the context he's talking about our tongue he's talking about the things that come out of our mouth that's where he has been but now he gets to where he's going he says who then verse 13 is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you let him show it out of a good conversation that would better be translated lifestyle, out of a good demonstration, his works with meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, then glory not and lie not against the truth. For this wisdom, wisdom that comes from bitterness and envy and strife, this wisdom, he says, descends not from above, but is earthly, sensual, and devilish. So it's, there's not just one type of wisdom. For where envying and strife is, there is confusion in every evil work. But the wisdom that's from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, and easy to be entreated. That means it's, you know, receivable. It makes sense. Full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality, it's fair, and without hypocrisy. There's nothing hidden behind it. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. Uh, One of the things that I get to do, um, it's not my favorite thing, and I usually only do it two or three times a year, is uh, I will be asked by the nursery school teachers to come and share with the nursery school kids. And uh, the reason why it's not my favorite thing to do is because I am very far removed from that part of life, and so I have a very hard time connecting uh, with a three-year-old on an intellectual or even relational level. It's a very difficult thing for me. I can do it. I just watch the Mr. Rogers. I think like him. I channel him, and uh, and I can get through it. So yesterday happened to be one of those days, uh, and I I sat with um, a handful of preschoolers, and, um, and I tried to connect with them a little bit. And so uh, we were supposed to talk about jealousy. We were trying to talk about um, love and uh, fairness and, and these types of things. And, uh, um, and so I, I asked uh, the kids in this whole thing about jealousy, is there anything um, that you have that somebody else doesn't have? And, uh, you know, they all start talking about their dogs and Christmas and, you know, and their Aunt Julie and everything else. And, uh, and one of them said to me, raised his hand, and I called him, and he said to me, he said, I know someone who doesn't have a brain. <laughs> <laughs> he set me up. 
<laughs> I said, so do I. <laughs> no, I know a few people. You know. <laughs> James is talking to us about wisdom. He's talking to us about using, having a brain. If we connect the dots as to where we've been and where James is taking us, he's, his theme, his idea, is, is his agenda is that we would each, God's people, that we would be doers of the word. That we wouldn't be people that just know what the Bible says, uh, expressing the tenets of our faith, but that there would be action in our lives, that the things that we do would be a reflection of the things that we know. Now, that in and of its very essence is what wisdom is. So James's agenda is that we would be doers of the word. And then what he talks about from there is that we need to beware of the tongue. We have to watch it, watch our tongue. And the reason is because the tongue is an indication of what's going on in the heart. From the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So what comes out of my mouth reveals what's going on in my heart. And so I have to watch my mouth because that's going to help me monitor what's going on in my heart. And now, if my heart then is pure, which is my goal, that's what I want, then the natural result of that is that I'm going to possess a quality of wisdom. There's going to be wisdom in what I do. There's a worthwhile wisdom in a healthy heart. Now, the Bible talks a lot about wisdom. It's a theme of Scripture. It comes up quite frequently, this whole concept or idea of being wise. And wisdom at its core, the essence of it, is just the proper application of knowledge. It's taking what you know and then using that to make decisions that translate into actions. And so wisdom is kind of a verb because it's, it's an action word. It's something that we do with what we know. Now, wisdom has two brothers in the Bible. They're, you're always going to see these three things. They're inseparable. The three brothers of wisdom, that's the oldest supreme brother, and his two younger brothers are knowledge and understanding. Wisdom, knowledge, and understanding all go together. Now, knowledge is facts. Knowledge is education. Knowledge is the accumulation of, 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 of facts. I just know things. You get it from a book. You get it from whatever, a conversation. I'm learning. I'm, I'm, I have a knowledge base. It's an encyclopedia. It's a dictionary. That's all knowledge. Understanding is experience. That's systems. Okay, so now I'm, I'm looking, I'm observing, I'm making connections between the things that I know, and, and I'm seeing how it all fits together. And I'm taking facts, and I'm plugging them into systems, and so now I have understanding. And so knowledge and understanding, but now I take the facts, and I take the systems, I put them together to make decisions and actions, that's wisdom. And so you have wisdom, and you have knowledge and understanding, and the whole of the three of them go together. Now, wisdom not just comes from God and belongs to God, but wisdom actually is God, in a sense. You say, whoa, what do you mean wisdom is God? If you read in the book of Revelation, you'll read that John saw the throne, and he saw him that sat on the throne, and it says that he saw the seven spirits of God. 
You go, whoa, the seven spirits of God. I thought there was only one spirit of God. This is getting crazy. Trinity, three in one, spirits, seven, seven in what? What is the seven spirits of God? When you read Isaiah 11, verse 2, it describes the spirit in his separate capacities. And he talks about the spirit of the Lord, which is really kind of the spirit of love or the all-encompassing element of his nature. But then it talks about the spirit of wisdom, the spirit of knowledge, the spirit of understanding, the spirit of counsel, the spirit of strength, and the fear of the Lord, the spirit of, of having a reverence or a respect or the awesomeness of God. And so one aspect or one element of God's person is his wisdom, his ability to take facts and systems and then apply them to the absolute best end possible. And so wisdom is possessed by God, but wisdom is also found in God. And so therefore, it's seen in him. Colossians chapter 2 verse 3 says that in Christ, in Jesus, are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So it's in him. It's part of who he is. Now, God offers wisdom to his people. In fact, he implores us as his people to get wisdom. He says, with all you're getting, get wisdom. It's better than getting wealth. It's better than getting rubies. It's more important than having treasures or anything else. He says, get wisdom. That's what we're to get. Now, it's through wisdom, the Bible tells us, that God created the world, that he ordered the world into its systems, and that through wisdom, he sustains the world. So he started it, he arranged it, and he keeps it going all by his wisdom. And he tells you and I that when we obtain wisdom, that wisdom is going to be to us strength. It's going to be safety, prosperity, success, deliverance, victory. An overall sense of blessing in our lives is going to come from wisdom. That's going to be the source and the thing that's going to help us out in our lives is if we have wisdom. You say, well, how does someone obtain wisdom? How do we do that? If God is imploring us to have wisdom, then how do we obtain it? Where does it come from? And it really comes from four things. I want to give you an equation. And if I had uh, had the time to make slides, this would be up on the screen, but it's not. So you're going to have to remember it or write it down. But here's the equation for how you get wisdom, all right? And you just string together what God has told us. First, education. You can't have wisdom without facts. It's, those are the building blocks that make up wisdom. And so you educate. Uh, if you want God's wisdom, then certainly you need to know God's word. That's the number one source and place you want to be educated. You need to know God's word. But not just God's word, because God's word applies in real life. So that means I need to know something about life. And so there is value in education across the board. The more that I know, then the more building blocks I have for wisdom to be employed. And so education is number one. Now you add to education, you have to add understanding, which comes from experience. So education plus experience is number two. That means that I have to be an observer of the world that I'm in, an observer of the thoughts that I think, observer of the things that are taking place around me relationally, politically, spiritually. I have to know what's going on and I have to pay attention to it. Somebody uh, said it this way, that you need to know how to listen to your own life. Listen to your own life. Meaning that you're, 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 you're making connections in what's going on around you all of the time and you're drawing from it. You're connecting facts 
And you're creating understanding. Oh, if, if someone is treated this way, that's how they react. If somebody talks to me or treats me this way, that's how I feel. That's all making connections. It's understanding. It's learning how things go. If a politician says this, this is what happens two weeks, three weeks, four years down the road, 50 years later. If someone cheats on their spouse, this is what happens. You know? and, and, I'm, and I'm observing, I'm learning, I'm connecting, I'm experiencing life. And so education plus experience. Now here's number three, the third addition in this equation that equals wisdom. The third thing is intimacy. If wisdom comes from God, okay, then I need to be with God in order to obtain the wisdom that comes from God. I need to be with him. He needs to be my teacher. John would say, the Apostle John, it's 1 John chapter 4 somewhere. Read the whole chapter. He says that you don't need, it's not absolutely necessary that any man teach you because the anointing that he has given you will teach you all things. Jesus said, when Jesus was still on the earth, he said that when he, the spirit of truth has come, he will lead you into all truth. And so part of God's work in our lives, his presence in our lives, is that he teaches us. But we can't learn from him if we're not with him. And so intimacy, connection, and communion with God is imperative. He's the one that opens our eyes to recognize in the experiences of daily life what's taking place so that we can build facts and understanding. So education plus experience plus intimacy. And here's number four. This is, you're like, I'm with you. Here's where I'm going to lose you. Ready? Plus obedience. Plus obedience. Because with God, okay, sometimes some of the things that he tells us to do don't make sense. Or sometimes action comes before understanding. And so for me to employ the wisdom of God means that I'm going to do what God says, even if I don't understand yet why that's the best thing to do. Education plus experience plus intimacy plus obedience equals wisdom. Now, you've got to understand this, is that not all wisdom is the same. Not all wisdom is the same. There is more than one type of wisdom, and there are different qualities of wisdom. Jesus would say this. It's Luke chapter 7, verse 35, and it came after a conflict that Jesus had with some of the Pharisees, the religious people that were constantly antagonizing him. And he, he, he basically points out an inconsistency in their behavior. They were giving him trouble for some of the things that he was doing. And, I, and, 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 and he said, look, John the Baptist, he came to you this way and you rejected him. I'm coming to you in a completely different way and you're rejecting me. And he says, you're unpleasable. No one could get through to you. It's impossible. And then Jesus sums it up this way. It's Luke 7, 35. He says, but wisdom is justified by her children. Now, it took me a long time to, like, connect the dots there. Like, how is that the conclusion of, of this whole idea, you know? But here's what Jesus was saying. He was saying that the kind of life that a person lives, the quality of life that a person lives is the byproduct of the wisdom that they follow. In other words, the parent is wisdom. The offspring is the type of life that that wisdom produces. 
So if I'm living according to a certain wisdom, that wisdom is either going to be justified or condemned, quality or crud, based upon the type of life I'm, I'm, I'm living, experiencing, based upon the kind of wisdom I'm following. The point is this, that Jesus was saying is that not all wisdom is created equal. You can be living according to a wisdom that is not a good wisdom. There are wisdoms that aren't good wisdom. Well, the Bible talks about other types of wisdom. There is, in the Bible, the Bible talks about a worldly wisdom. A wisdom that is restricted by the confines of this world. It's defined as that which is material, intellectual, and practical. If it's material and it relates to the material world, if it's intellectual and it makes sense and it's practical in in conventional wisdom, as they call it, that's worldly wisdom. The problem with worldly wisdom is that it's limited because it leaves God out of the equation. And it also leaves invisible things spiritual things out of the equation. It is purely material. It's a worldly wisdom. It works in the world, but in the fallen world, you got problems. There's another type of wisdom. The Bible talks about the devil's wisdom. In fact, it's James, the verses that we just read, that defines the devil's wisdom. Notice again what he says. It's in verse 14, back in James chapter 3. He says, but if you have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, then glory not and lie not against the truth. For this wisdom descends not from above, but is earthly, sensual, and devilish. In other words, the devil has a type of wisdom. Now, he tells us, James does, the the source or the fountainhead of that type of wisdom. He says it comes out of bitterness, it comes out of envy, and it comes out of strife. So there's a hatred in my heart for someone else, first of all. Then there's an envying of someone else. I want what they've got, or I just want what I don't have. And strife, which means that I'm going to do whatever I have to do. I'm going to strive to obtain that which I want, and I'm going to have it at any cost. And he describes that as being devilish. And if you think about it, that's exactly who the devil is. The devil was bitter because he wasn't what he wanted to be. He didn't get to do what he wanted to do in whatever capacity he served. It wasn't enough for him. And so he got bitter at God because he didn't get to be or do what he wanted to be or do. And he became bitter. That bitterness then led to envy. He wanted to be God. And he said five times, I will ascend to the throne. I'm going to reach that place. I'm going to be God. So he was envying and then he strove to try to obtain it. He launched a rebellion in heaven. He garnered angels on his side. The Bible alludes to the fact that there was one third of the angels that he was able to bring into his camp and he launched a rebellion against God. He was going to strive to obtain that which he could have. Now, what is the common denominator in all of the devil's wisdom? The devil's wisdom is that it is based from blind, reckless, personal ambition. It's blind, reckless, personal ambition. It's all about me. It's an egocentric wisdom. That's the devil's wisdom. And so in a world where it's all about me, the wisdom that I'm resigned to give myself to is always going to be the devil's wisdom. Now, the third type of wisdom is God's wisdom. 
And God's wisdom is bigger, better, and broader than the world's wisdom and the devil's wisdom because God has all knowledge and God has all understanding and God has all ability. And so when someone obtains God's wisdom, then they become uninhibited by the world's restriction and they become free of the devil's vices and they become limitless in their potential and their ability because God is limitless in his potential and in his ability. Now, there's different types of wisdom. There are also different qualities of wisdom. Wisdom is on a scale. All right. If you think back into the Old Testament times, it doesn't even have to be biblical. This could just be in, in, in kingdoms. Okay, Kings would have counselors. And the purpose of the counselors is that they would be wise men that would tell the king or advise the king as to what he was supposed to do. And the counselors would arrange themselves in a pecking order based upon how wise they were. And so the outcomes of the council would be measured And those with the highest success rate would be determined to be the wisest amongst the king's counselors. And so when you read the book of Daniel, you see this more clearly than anywhere else. You see that there was Daniel, and he was always the wisest. He was always the one that was closest to the king. And then under him were maybe some of his friends, and then under them some of the Babylonian astrologers and whatever and counselors. But there was always this pecking order of wisdom because wisdom wasn't arranged the same way. In the days of Solomon you see the same thing. You see that Solomon was supreme. There was no one that had his wisdom. But Solomon had some other wise people around him. We read specifically about He-Man. He's in the Bible. And Ethan. He-Man and Ethan were second to Solomon in terms of their wisdom. In fact, He-Man and Ethan are both Bible authors. He-Man wrote Psalm 88 and Ethan wrote Psalm 89. They've, they've, they wrote scripture, and they were considered to be extremely wise men. We see also in the days of uh, King David. David had counselors, and it talks about the wisdom of David's counselors, that there was different levels. Now, the best, I love the illustration. It's in 2 Samuel. You would write this down or remember it if you're good with numbers. 2 Samuel chapters 16 and 17 is an amazing illustration of all of this. David had a counselor whose name was Ahithophel. And Ahithophel was said in the scripture to be so wise that when you got counsel from Ahithophel, it was like getting counsel from God himself. Now, if God the Holy Spirit says of a man that getting counsel from him is like getting counsel from God, then getting counsel from him is like getting counsel from God. He was an extremely wise man. And he was David's chief counselor. He was one of the best. There was a problem, though, is that he was a little bit spited. Ahithophel happened to be the grandfather of a woman named Bathsheba. And if you know, there was a little bit of controversy in David's life concerning this woman Bathsheba. And Ahithophel, being the counselor, he had a little bit of a thorn in his side with David. He had a little bit of a problem with him. And so when Absalom, who was David's son, David's attractive son, David's politically savvy son, David's leader son, when Absalom launched a rebellion against his father, Ahithophel, David's chief counselor, sided with Absalom in the rebellion. Now, there was another counselor whose name was Hushai. And Hushai was wise, but maybe not quite as wise as Ahithophel. 
And Hushai sided with David. Now, David was exiled. He left the palace. He was running in the wilderness. And Absalom moved into the palace, pitched a tent on the roof, and slept with all of David's wives. He was making a definite public power play that he wanted to remove David from the throne and that he was the new voice, the new authority in Israel. So word comes to David, who's now a fugitive running with some of his men, that Absalom and Ahithophel are in the palace and things are starting to move in their direction. The pendulum is swinging towards them. And David prays a prayer publicly out loud. He says, Lord, defeat the, the counsel of Ahithophel. Defeat the counsel of Ahithophel. And then Hushai says, gets the message, and he goes, okay, I know what to do. So Hushai, who's David's wise counselor, he runs to the palace, and he lies, and he tells Absalom that he also is defecting from David. He says, you know what? I'm going to serve whoever the king is because I'm God's man. And if God's called you to be the king, then I'm going to serve with you. That's what Hushai says. He was secretly with David. So Absalom says to Ahithophel, he says, give me some counsel. Tell me what I should do. And Ahithophel gives him very wise counsel. Wise for Absalom in terms of politics. He says this. He says, here's what you should do. He says, let me choose 12,000 choice men, which was a small number relative to the size of the army. And he says, we will go in and we will surgically strike the place where David is. We will find him. We will kill only him. And we will bring all of the men back and we'll cover this thing over and time will play it out. No one will know anything that's going on. And in just a few short days, everything will be peaceful with all the people. And Absalom goes, hmm, now that was good counsel. It was simple. It was surgical. It was sterile. It was clean. Simple plan. It's very specific. It's, it's intentional. And it's clean. It ends and there's no mess. Everything on the other side of it just goes away. It's based upon this counsel, this wise counsel. It's based upon realism. Realism in that Ahithophel said, look, David's weak. David is tired. David is strained right now. His soul is vexed because of all the things that have gone on. This is the time. We've got to move quickly. And it's based on realism to the fact that people are affected by the things that happen to them. And this is all raw in David's mind. This is the time to move. It's based on realism. It's also based on realization. That is human realization. Realizing the fact that, that in time... And with a little bit of distance, the people that know what happened are going to realize what happened. Do you guys know that people figure things out in time? Do you know, I mean, how many of, how many of you, all right, you don't have to show your hands because I know you'd all raise them, okay? How many of you reached a certain age, maybe it was 25, maybe it was 35, but you reached a certain age where you realized that something that your parents did to you was really messed up. <laughs> right? But you didn't know it at the time. And your parents thought, they don't know what's going on. But 20 years later, you still know what they did or what they said or how they treated their wife or their husband. You know, you know what happened because people realize later on with distance and clarity what things happened. 
And Ahithophel goes, look, we got to do this quick and we got to keep this simple and clean because if the whole nation finds out what's going on here, in 10 years they're going to realize this guy Absalom's a creep and they're going to kill him and this whole thing's going to fall apart. So he knew human realization. It was also based upon reaction. That is, every action has an equal or greater what? Reaction. Dominoes. Ripples. Okay? That what we do, we want to do things as small as we can because everything is going to have ripple effects. And there's going to be things that happen down the road. And, and see, listen, guys. One of the huge things about wisdom, wisdom is all about outcomes. It's not about actions in the moment. It's not about the immediacy of getting something done. It's what's going to happen next week, two weeks from now, two years from now. To the people that are involved, how is this going to whiplash back and smack me in the face later on? That's most of what wisdom is all about. It's seeing the future. It's seeing what's going to happen out there. And so Ahithophel gave good counsel, simple, surgical, and sterile. Well, then Absalom turns to Hushai. And he goes, you give counsel. What should we do? And he says, oh, Ahithophel, he's a wise man. But his counsel is not good at this time. And then he gives a different type of counsel. He gives bad counsel. Good for David. Probably a little wiser in the big picture, for David's sake. Bad counsel for Absalom. He says, look, not realism, but idealism. David is a warrior. David. This is David. Invincible David. Superman David. And you think that he is going to just take this thing lying down? You know David and the men that are with him. You go in there with just 12,000 men. Those guys are as good as toast next to David and his mighty men, Joab. And you know what you're dealing with here, don't you? No, 12,000 men, small, simple. No, no, no. No, no. Not with David. With David, it's got to be big. Not idealism, also based on naivety. People are sheep. Nobody knows what's going on. Here's what you need to do. Put it on Facebook. (laughs) Send out a mass email. Gather every competent male from Dan all the way down to Beersheba. Get everyone in the entire nation involved on this thing. And you turn over every rock until you find David. And you squash not only David, but you squash all of the men that are with David. And you let it be known once and for all who is now the boss. Who is now in charge in Israel. You show them and exercise the power that you have. And you win by numbers and by intimidation. And you don't need to worry about what people are going to think in ten years. Or what they're going to think on the other side of all this thing. Wait, isn't David... Someday they realize, isn't David the one who subdued our enemies and established our borders and built us a temple and or you know brought the ark into jerusalem and isn't david the one who took down goliath and isn't he the one that we sing about like they're not going to think about that they're going to see your flowing hair absalom they're going to see your royal rings and they're they're not going to think about it naivety make it big put it on facebook let everybody know what's going on in your life right now that's wise that's what you should do And it was based upon immediacy, what you can get quickly, not what it's going to do down the road, what the ripple effects are going to be. And so it wasn't simple. It wasn't surgical. It wasn't sterile. Rather, it was elaborate. 
It was elongated and it was egocentric. It's all about you, Absalom. It was earthly, sensual, and devilish. It was based on bitterness, envy, and strife. And because Absalom was filled with bitterness and envy and strife, guess what Absalom did? He said, oh, I like that plan. That sounds good. I got a great new profile picture to put right with that post. This is going to be excellent. And do you know what Ahithophel did? Ahithophel walked out of the palace. He got his affairs in order, and he hung himself. Do you know why? Because he was wise. And he knew that by Absalom doing what Absalom was about to do, the whole he was just going to do quickly what would have happened to him in a little bit more time. He knew that David was going was gonna to be back in the palace. He knew that Absalom was a fool, and he knew that he had made a fool's decision. Because, you know why? Because Ahithophel had been overcome of bitterness, envy, and strife. Unforgiveness. Not dealing with the emotions that David caused him when the whole thing with Bathsheba and Uriah went down. And he knew, I blew it. And it cost him his life. See, wisdom is not all equal, is it? There's different levels of wisdom. Now, what are the signs that you can recognize when Satan's wisdom is present in a situation or when Satan's wisdom is influencing me? James gives us the clue. It's in verse 16. If you look back at James chapter 3, look at verse 16. He says, For where envying and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work. Is that when decisions or actions are being weighed, evaluated, or taken, and they're motivated by envy and strife, I'm jealous, or I'm trying to produce an outcome, or I'm working really hard to get what I want. And then also, he says, there's confusion and evil. Confusion means that there's a lack of clarity. I'm not seeing clearly. I can't see what's going to happen. I don't know what I should really do. I don't know what's best, but I feel like I should do something. I'm confused. And then evil, which is corruption. If it's wrong, then, then be certain that you're following the devil's wisdom. Well, how do you know when God's wisdom is present in a situation? How do you know when the wisdom that I'm listening to or following or seeking is really from God, that this is something that God is giving to me? Notice what he says in verse 17. He gives us the test. Here's how you can recognize God's wisdom. Because God's wisdom will pass easily under, like a limbo. Like, you know, remember when you used to limbo at weddings back back in the day? You know, it'll pass under the limbo stick of all of these things if it's from God. It says the wisdom that is from above, if it's from God, then it is first of all, pure. It means it's clean. It means there's no corruption in it. It's not evil. It, it's, it's, it's close to God's word. It's as close to what God's word says should be done in a situation as can be done. It's pure. Second of all, it's peaceable, meaning that there's something inside that it settles that this is the right thing to do. I know inside I have a perfect peace about going about things this particular way 
because I believe that if I do, that there's going to be no harm that's going to come. It's not going to have a, a kickback to it. It's peaceable. Then, third, is that it's gentle. The word gentle is translated appropriate and equitable. It's appropriate. It's fitting with the situation, and it's equitable in the situation. It says, nextly, it says that it's easy to be entreated, which means that it just makes sense. Easily entreated means that when you hear it, you go, ah, yes. It's persuadable. You say it, and I go, yeah, oh, yeah, that, that's exactly the right thing to do in the situation. Uh, yes, cut the baby in half. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, she's the mother. Yeah, there's no doubt. The one who said, don't cut the baby in half. Yep, I, I get it. Uh-huh. Perfect. Easily entreated. Full of mercy and good fruit. And then it says, without partiality, meaning that it's not, there's no ego involved. It means that when you weigh out the action, it's not obviously leaning in the favor of, of one person or another, the person who, who's aggressor or whatever, or the antagonist or protagonist. You know, it's all equal. You say, yeah, this is just the right outcome for everybody. And then finally, it's without hypocrisy, meaning that underneath it, there's not a hidden, a, hidden agenda or a hidden motive or something that is towards self in some way. That's the, the thing. Now, a perfect example is Solomon with his baby, right? Remember the woman, two women, they both had babies. One of them, careless and rolled over and choked out her baby underneath too many carbs, you know, and baby chokes out, you know. And then so she wakes up and realizes that she's killed her baby, so she wakes up and she swaps babies, she takes and puts her dead baby under the other lady and takes her living baby. And when they wake up, you know, the, the other mother goes, this is not mine. I'm, I'm Hispanic. <laughs> <She's>, <laughs> don't you wish it was that easy, you know, in, the, in those days, you know? <laughs> so they call for Solomon. And, and how are you going to decide? You know, both of them say they have that theirs is the living baby. We don't have DNA tests in these days. He says, well, just, just cut the baby in half. Give one to her and one to her. And the real mother says, no, 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 let her have it. And Solomon goes, that's the real mother. And the whole nation heard that and goes, oh, my goodness. It's simple. It's surgical. It's sterile. It just makes sense. It's godly wisdom. You, we read about King David. And, and King Saul was trying to kill him. He wasn't King David yet. He was fugitive David. And King Saul was trying to kill him. And David had two opportunities to kill Saul. What would the world say? Kill him. What would the devil say? Kill him. What did David say? Don't kill him. Far be it from me to lay my hand upon the Lord's anointed. Let God do it. David said either some sickness will get him or he'll die in battle or he'll die of natural causes in God's time. But I will not put my hand on him because David had the wisdom to realize if I do that, it might immediately solve my problem but it will just be the beginning of the end of my life if I do it. And I will never come to the place that I ultimately am set to come to if I do it this way. That's God's wisdom. It's pure. It's clean. I'm not supposed to kill anybody. It's peaceable. Maybe not today <laughs> because I still got to run for my life, but I'm going to lay my head down tonight on a rock and fall asleep because I didn't kill somebody. It's easy to be entreated. Yeah, that makes sense. You shouldn't kill him. Probably it's not a good idea. <laughs> you know? It's full of mercy and good fruit. Check it off the list. 
I'm being merciful to Saul. I'm loving my enemy. That's good fruit. It's without partiality. And it's without hypocrisy. That's just, there's nothing you can say against it. It's just God's wisdom. I love Paul the Apostle. He was, he was being jostled again. This was during his earthly ministry, and the religious people wanted to kill him. And, and he looked around, and he goes, I'm in a real tough situation here. These people want me dead. <laughs> you know, I don't have anybody on my side. There's no one to protect me here. He said, God, you'll protect me. But what do I do? And so he looks, and he sees, well, they have Pharisee hats, and they have Sadducee hats. Pharisees, Sadducees. Pharisees don't like Sadducees. Sadducees don't like Pharisees. Pharisees, they believe in angels, the resurrection. Sadducees, they don't believe in angels, the resurrection. Paul says, hey, men, the reason I'm here today is because I believe that there's a resurrection of the dead. And all of a sudden the Pharisees said, hey! And the Sadducees said, kill him! And they said, kill him! And he, he turned the antagonism against himself into a civil war between the two groups, and he slowly slipped out underneath the door. That's God's wisdom. It's facts, experience, understanding, escape. It's pure, it's peaceable, it's easy to be entreated. What do I do when I don't have the relational equity in my daughter's life to address the way that she's dressing before she goes to school. That's hard. When I don't have the relational equity with her that she respects my opinion and my desires, and yet I know she's about to do something that, well, number one, I don't like, number two, is inappropriate, and number three, might bring harm to her, what do I do in the situation that will both garner the outcome I want today and maintain the relationship that I want tomorrow? Well, that requires a level of wisdom that goes beyond what this world can provide, doesn't it? I can't get that wisdom from myself. I can't get it from Google. And I probably can't get it from another human being because my daughter and my relationship with her is different from everyone else's. And so it requires a level of wisdom that goes beyond what I can gain only in this life. Poor wisdom is, well, just try something. <laughs> How many have tried something before? I've tried something before. <laughs> I've got to do something, you know. And sometimes it can be tricky. What do I do when my wife isn't doing what I want her to do in any area that it might show itself. What do I do when my wife isn't doing what I want her to do? I have the ability to manipulate. I have the ability to control certain things and control certain outcomes. I have the power of different techniques and things that I can do in order to do that. I can withdraw relationally or withhold love. I can, control, I can use different things at my disposal. But what is the outcome going to be? What am I really trying to accomplish? What is my motive? Where is it coming from? Why am I annoyed with what she's doing right now? You see, it's not as simple 
is it? It's just when it comes to real life. What happens when I realize I'm not where I want to be in life, in the stage of life that I'm in right now? I want to be further along. I want to be in a different place, or I thought I would be in a different place. I thought I'd be more advanced. What do I do when I realize I'm not where I want to be? How am I going to get where I want to be? How am I going to get there? I can do it by dishonesty. If I want to make more money or keep more money, then there's certain things I can do. I could sell things that I'm not supposed to sell. There's always a way. I could do it with dishonesty. I could do it cheating. I could use drugs. I could use performance-enhancing drugs in some way. I'd take a little cocaine and just boost my energy and my clarity a little bit in certain strategic times, and I can get where I need to get. I can just I'll put the fuel in to burn the candle a little hotter, a little higher, a little ho- a little longer. I can. But what's the outcome going to be? What's the motive behind it? What if that's not what God has planned for my life? What if there's something coming that I can't see yet? See, there's so much that I don't know. I need a wisdom that exceeds the wisdom that I can gain simply from this world. See, education and understanding and experience alone can only take me so far. Without intimacy and obedience, my wisdom is cut off at the feet. And the ripple effects and the backlash is always going to be worse than I intended. God says, get wisdom from me. God says, in all you're getting, get wisdom. God says, in Christ, in him, are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I've given you everything you need for life and godliness. Listen to your own life. Gain an education. Learn constantly. Observe and experience and understand and connect systems and realize what's going on around you. Spend time with me, God says. Spend time with me. Talk to me. Fellowship with me in my word. Let me show you what's going on right in front of your eyes. Keep me in the picture. Look at life through the lens of my presence and of my person. And walk in obedience. Even if obedience comes before understanding. Even if it makes sense in a worldly way to do it differently than what I say to do, do it the way I say. Trust me, God says. Because education plus experience plus intimacy plus obedience equals wisdom. And wisdom produces strength. It produces blessing. It produces prosperity productivity, a good family, a wholesome soul, a joy unspeakable and full of glory, a peace that passes understanding, relationships that are healthy and viable, a wholesome disposition. And God even says, and here's how you can know if it's wisdom that's from me. It's pure. It's peaceable. It's easily persuadable. It's full of mercy and good fruits. It's gentle. It's equitable. It's without partiality. It's not hypocritical. And he closes the chapter by saying, And the fruit of righteousness 
is sown in peace to them that make peace. That there's a peaceable righteousness that comes from it when we do things God's way. And so he implores us to get wisdom. It's a worthy pursuit. Thanks for joining us for the Pastor Nick Santo podcast. To regularly receive these teachings, be sure to subscribe so you can get it automatically when it's released. If you find this material helpful, please share it and help us get the message of Jesus out to others. We also appreciate your feedback, so if you would, leave us a review in iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts, or email us at pastor.nickpc at gmail.com. Until next time, may you continue to love, learn, and live the way of Jesus.